0: Welcome to a series of netcasts brought to you by Yale University. Welcome to the Yale University Press Podcast. I'm Michael Hogue. We're back after a bit of a break, and today we're lifting the veil on North Korea as we find out if what we know about this secretive country is accurate or not. I'm joined by North Korea expert Jian Beck, author of North Korea's Hidden Revolution, How the Information Underground is Transforming a Closed Society. Jian, thanks for joining me. So to start, what is the, the North Korean information underground? Uh, how does it work? And how is information getting in and out of the country?
1: Sure. So I think it's important to start by saying that uh, technically and formally, the North Korean government relies on restricting its citizens from consuming information that the government does not authorize. So what that means is the 24 million people living inside North Korea's country borders are not allowed to listen to or read unauthorized materials, so foreign information and media essentially. And and there's a lot of penalties that go with this, which we can talk about in a little bit. So uh, with that as the government's um, desired reality, what has been happening in the last 20 years to the government's dismay. I should put it lightly, is that hmm. citizens have been increasingly accessing foreign information. So, this is illegal, unauthorized information from the outside world, um, and listening and watching things through radio and uh, foreign content that's loaded onto USBs, formerly DVDs, but not so much anymore. So, nowadays, USBs, micro SD chips, and other storage devices that people are able to plug into their multimedia devices, laptops, and so forth. And so there's a huge network, a series of networks of actors that comprise what I call the underground information network uh, to push foreign content into this country.
0: And... and I'm happy to elaborate if yeah. you like. Well, yeah, so... Um, how? First of all, how widespread is this? I mean, are... are are average citizens able to access this information is this more of you know maybe uh, the upper classes have uh, access to it more than others what you know what is sort of the sure. the uh, proliferation of this
1: Sure so there are, uh, because outsiders are not allowed to conduct any uh, meaningful in-country surveys there's really no accurate answer to your question mm-hmm. however there have been a lot of educated estimates so Various radio stations from based in the U.S. and the U.K., other parts of Europe, and South Korea, and so forth. They've estimated that about eight to twelve percent of the population um, has access to foreign radio programs. Mm-hmm. So we're talking about Voice of America, Radio Free Asia, a variety of small uh, radio stations running out of South Korea, targeting North Korean listeners, uh, and so forth. So there's about eight to twelve a liberal guesstimate will will push that number to about 15% of the population mm-hmm. has repeat access to foreign radio content. In terms of accessing a material that's loaded onto USBs, the number then increases dramatically, the, the, number, the, the guesstimate. And so a lot of defectors who come out of North Korea and settle in South Korea and elsewhere will say that they and most of their colleagues and friends have had repeat exposure to foreign information. Hmm. So so that leads various estimates to about a minimum of half of the population has access to foreign information. Uh, al- there's some folks who will say upwards of 75% has access. Now, these are all you know, wildly ranging uh, <laughs> estimates, right. I, I am aware. But there's a tremendous, there's definitely more than half of the population that's seen. That's considered to have foreign information. Now, it's important to note that defectors, of course, comprise. I mean, there's the selection bias of the, the testimonies and the interviews mm-hmm. from defectors is quite high. But considering their considering that point, um, it's yeah, it's there's a there's a wide there's a large proportion of the citizenry that's considered to have foreign access, and it's not only restricted to the political elite.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: Uh, there's been, for the past two decades, um, there's been a huge grassroots marketization of this country. So grassroots um, basically ground up businesses that have just proliferated across the country, sparked by the famine in the 1990s, and that has um, not certainly not eliminated the political class boundaries. Those definitely exist. But... Um, the people now have, people who are people who are considered to be in the lower political classes now have a lot of cash, and that bring that gives them a lot, a lot of leverage in society more than before. And so, um, some of the more politically lower classes, but those who have some money could um, definitely have access to foreign information, so they can buy it, and also they can bribe their way out of sticky situations.
0: And you mentioned uh, that the penalties for this can be pretty severe. Um, what What is somebody who gets caught with this sort of information, what are they looking at as far as a punishment?
1: Sure. Right, so the penal code um, in North, from the from North Korea, um, so the North Korean penal code, it really does state that uh, anyone who's caught either consuming or in the possession of or circulating unauthorized information in media uh, will be, they're, they're considered crimes against the state and uh, could be severely punished. And so that range, that so there's a huge range of punishments that come uh, in practice. And so the worst case scenario is public execution, mm-hmm. and that does happen. But um, more commonly than that is sentencing to political prison camps. There's five mm-hmm. different types of uh, detention centers in North Korea. So they range from, uh, there's, there's five different types. One, of course, the political prison camps are those that a lot of the Western media has covered for good reason. They're they're atrocious and there's no place on earth, there should be no place on earth for places like this. But those different types of detention centers, including the political prison camps and sentences to those comprise part of the various penalties for accessing foreign information. And then more common than that are um, senten- are are um, labor and re education sentencing, so low, lower level detention centers. And mm-hmm. then, much, much more common, especially these days, probably the most common of punishments is a combination of high fines mm-hmm. and bribery. Mm-hmm. And so, so, most people, now that many more people in North Korean society have access, have cash because they're participating in private enterprise. They can often uh, bribe their way out of situations where they're caught with foreign information.
0: And you said nowadays the more common penalty is this fine and, and bribing your way out of it. Is Has that sort of slackened a bit because of the fact that so many people potentially have access to this and they just can't possibly put everybody who does it into these prison camps? Or is it just the government sort of, I don't know, acknowledging in a way that this is happening and and trying to deter it as much as possible, but knowing that it's a little bit tough to do?
1: Sure. So I think it's a combination of both. Mm -hmm. So uh, like you said, you can't put everyone away into a political prison camp or execute everybody or else there will be no one to rule over as a dictator. (laughs) I think that's part of that. Uh, and that is because, like you said, the underlying phenomenon behind that is the proliferation. Just so much there's so there's such a high demand for foreign information within North Korea, and therefore the supply from the outside world meets that demand. And oftentimes it is a commercial enterprise. There are people who profit off of this information circulation enterprise. Um, but additionally, a lot of the low-level authorities in who are in charge of implementing these raids, uh, these house-to-house raids to see what their electronic media devices are containing and so forth. Um, they often build this kind of twisted form of a symbiotic relationship with the uh, the civilians, and so then they could they could benefit off of the bribes. And if anything, they can take the bribe and then confiscate the illegal material and then turn around and sell it or have their mm-hmm. wives sell it on the market. So there's a double, there's um, a dual stream of income from Catching a civilian with foreign foreign uh, information, and so the the, the wide scale um, the the corruption across North Korea is huge, and that's definitely a much larger phenomenon that's happening in this country. But that also, in some way, benefits uh, people who are caught with this information because they're able to get out of it without suffering as much of a physical consequence, if you know otherwise.
0: And how, how does this information sort of make its way initially into the country? Is this being uh, sort of spearheaded by, you know, uh, foreign governments who are trying to get this information in there? Or is it or is it uh, North Koreans who just have a desire for this that's, that's sort of creating this need for it?
1: Sure. And so, so at a very high level, so yes, there are governments that... That either directly or indirectly fund initiatives to send radio broadcasts into North Korea, and so Voice of America has been around for a long time. And one of the country one of the places that Voice of America covers is the Korean Peninsula, both North and South Korea. Mm-hmm. And so those waves can uh, be accessed in North Korea. Of course, the punishment for for listening to very political sensitive material is much higher than if one were caught watching a silly soap opera. Uh, but yes, governments do. Are, are some of the sponsors South Korea? they spo- the government has been sponsoring a lot of radio programs uh, into North Korea since the countries were divided. Mm-hmm. And the BBC, they haven't been targeting North Co- the Korean language, the Korean-speaking people yet. Um, but only well, just about two months ago or so, uh, the BBC did announce that they um, that they'll roll out a, a huge expansion of um, Language programs, including the Korean language. So we can infer that it'll cover North Korea. And so that's governments. And so in addition to governmental effort, there are a plethora of uh, non governmental organizations and nonprofit organizations that are that target North Korean listeners and information consumers. Uh, both uh, radio, yes, but also through USBs and other types of hardware that contain much more, uh, much diverse array of information. And so, um, so some of these NGOs are sponsoring smaller groups that we can talk more about. Uh, they are either, or they are the ones who are commissioning smugglers to send information into North Korea. Um, a subset of such NGOs are small groups that are run by North Korean dissidents themselves. So North Korean defectors, dissidents—you know—call them what you want. But um, many of the there are there are a handful of North Korean defectors who either lead or are part of groups that create the content, curate the content, uh, package it, pay for the smugglers or smuggle it themselves across the border into North Korea. And so uh, there's a bunch of organizations like that out there. So governmental, large NGOs, as well as small groups run by North Koreans. But And it may, that may sound like a big, you know, collectively that may sound like a big effort. Mm-hmm. And yes, it's been a bigger effort than let's say 10 years ago. But you know, in the grand scheme of things, this collective effort still comprises a very small percentage of what could be done. Mm-hmm. Um, and just as a side note, and I may repeat this later, but... Uh, book sale proceeds, if there are any, mm-hmm. from my book, will uh, I will donate them to small groups that send information into North Korea. So I thought I'll put a yeah. plug uh, in the middle of the in the middle of the Sh- conversation. Sure, no, that's
0: fine. Um, so just quickly, what you know, what kind of information are they trying to send in? Are the, you know, is this is this just the news of the rest of the world? Is it more propaganda based? Is it count trying to counter the propaganda that exists within North Korea about the outside world what 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 are they what are they trying to get in there
1: sure there's I mean, there's so much getting in I would say the first thing that's the the, the content that's most popular is entertainment <laughs> right. so there's a lot of coverage that says you know South Korean uh, soap operas are really mm-hmm. popular in American movies and TV shows and that's true but You know, some people think that's crazy because North Koreans are all brainwashed and that's amazing (laughs) that they watch, you know, whatever, Titanic and Disney movies. It's actually not that amazing. I I mean, maybe it's a little bit, it's fun to first come across that factoid. Mm -hmm. But if you think about it, it's not that crazy because there are just people, North Korean people, yes, born under different and very, I mean, very, very different political system. Mm -hmm. But they're just people. Mm -hmm. And entertainment, the, the business model behind entertainment is to hook people in. Mm-hmm. regardless of where you're born, who right. you are, what God you pray to. And so entertainment is very popular. And the so movies and uh, South Korean soap operas are quite popular. Um, and then also just a lot of movies from the, the U.S. and um, Russian and Chinese shows are also pushed in as well. Mm-hmm. Um, but on a, a slightly more somber note, there are uh, a lot of books that are, so, I mean, so fiction and nonfiction, but also, there are just strictly political books. So, history, history of the Korean Peninsula written by South Korean perspective mm-hmm. or other government's perspective, um, which really uh, is sensitive because that is counter to whatever the North Korean government teaches its citizens. Uh, books, uh, financial literacy, uh, business 101, how people can run their businesses and increase their profit margins. Um, and more sensitive material about perhaps collective action. And you're not necessarily saying rise up and demonstrate against your leader, mm-hmm. but here are revolutions that have taken place in other parts of the world hmm. throughout human history, uh, violently and nonviolently. And then, of course, news, news about the, the rest of the world, and very relevantly, uh, news about North Korea. It's information— nor- News about North Korea smuggled out of a country mm-hmm. and then packaged, curated, and then pushed back into North Korea. And so, news about the weather, you know, weather <laughs> patterns, are daily, and that's really helpful for fishermen and people whose livelihoods depend on accurate weather information. Right. Um, and price prices of commodities in the in the gray and black markets inside North Korea. So a lot of information that's live and uh, very helpful for people on a day to day is also pushed in as well. Huh.
0: Um. you talk a little bit uh, in the book about uh, one defector who sort of had this life-changing experience. He found um, I think a videotape uh, when he was you know, there was a, a program to, to have European trash <laughs> sent to North Korea so they could recycle oh, it. And he found a videotape um, and he, I think he remarked something along the lines of that he thought that was probably the first time that someone in North Korea had watched a foreign program. What mm-hmm. what sort of other uh you know, you talk about USB and things. Are there other sort of just uh incidental ways like that and and, and unique ways that stuff uh gets into the country?
1: Sure. So I think yeah so we're talking about Mr. Kim. I think you're you're um, referring to his story. So yeah, I there's no absolutely no way to verify uh his statement <laughs> right. his. The first North Korean, right? right so I included right. that because he was just so excited about this.
2: Right,
1: um, and this was in the 90s,
0: he, I believe, right?
1: Exactly, yeah. early in the 90s, uh, he as someone whose job was to keep information out of North Korea. <laughs> right. uh, he incident, he 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 just really uh, accidentally came across something and kind of started to pique his interest and. He, you know, followed the, the the rabbit down the path of curiosity, and here he is in North in South Korea, sending information into North Korea. <laughs>
2: um,
1: there are other cases. There are other anecdotes uh, in the book where um, where similar situations have occurred, and of course, people who who are not in the book um, may share some experiences. I think it's important to note that most people, if not probably I mean, the supermajority of North Koreans. Don't listen to information for the first time, or they don't take the risk to watch foreign stuff with this huge political motive.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: You know, I'm going to learn everything I can so that I could find freedom by defecting or rising up and creating some big civic change. I, I don't think any young person across—I mean, maybe maybe some do—but there's no generally there's no huge intention um, to spark change that that. Motivates people to take the risk to watch foreign stuff. It's usually, like you said, perhaps not as accidental as Mr. Kim's
2: mm-hmm.
1: situation. Finding, finding a VHS, VHS tape in trash, but you know, there's um, Hanjong uh, in the book who his friend was the one said, "Hey, it's I think this middle school. Hey, do you want to come over and watch a film?" And it was kind of hush hush. It was a taboo thing. They knew they were not supposed to do. Absolutely not supposed to do but they snu- he, he went to his friend's house and turned the volume down and watched something they weren't supposed to. Mm-hmm. I mean, without using any pronouns, uh, proper pronouns, That what I described doesn't sound super crazy. It sounds like what a lot of middle school boys around the world do. Right. typically watch things by themselves that right. they probably should not be doing. Right. And so that's oftentimes <laughs> how some, how people's uh, people have been very slowly and unspectacularly introduced to foreign information mm-hmm. and then they start watching and they're like okay this is amazing the, the different world is out there mm-hmm. um, and then it kind of snowballs from there So, but yeah it, I think it's important to note it's, yeah, it's often a very unspectacular introduction to <laughs> uh, foreign information and you <laughs> Sometimes know it is, Sometimes it is.
0: <laughs> and to, you know it's sort of talking about that um, you you r- write in the book how uh, people in North Korea grow up learning to add and subtract by counting dead American soldiers. They refer to Americans fairly casually as American bastards. Um, mm. So obviously there's a lot of this sort of anti-American, anti-South Korean as well um, right. propaganda. But how how much of that do North Koreans actually believe, especially if they're getting this sort of... Pop culture and, and news from the outside world.
1: Sure, as I can't speak for you know the average North Korean mm-hmm. because there I don't know who the average will be. the The society is changing um, so much, off, most of which the outside world really can't observe. However, uh, it's it's really interesting to listen to young North Koreans. If I'm talking, I'm referring to people born in 1990s and thereafter. Mm-hmm. Um, and their views asking them about what they thought about america growing up and how that how their opinion of americans changed as they grew up and how that sort of correlated with um, their the levels of consumption of foreign information and i think that because there's such anti-american sentiments and teachings and images and just propaganda everywhere Mm -hmm. things are seen as it, it, people just don't think too critically about it. It's just that,
2: mm-hmm. that, that's
1: the norm. Like, we're supposed to hate them because it's because of them we're suffering. It's because of them we have to have nuclear weapons because they want to attack us.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: And which then justifies internal uh, surveillance system and all this. It's because of Americans, all these bad things are happening. And so I think it's just, it's very, it's kind of very naturally woven into people's psyche and mm-hmm. the social atmosphere, the ethos. At the same time, I think as people watch, very light-hearted shows and movies that are about America or based in America, and they just don't seem. To, it's just like images are not scary. You know, it's like just you know, pretty, just very attractive young people running around and having a good time. Mm-hmm. Um, having seeing Asian-American faces speaking English mm-hmm. in America, that all kind of changes. I think that really pushes young people to start thinking outside of what they've been taught. Mm-hmm. First of all, American equals blonde hair, blue eyed, very <laughs> right. person.
2: Right.
1: You know, waving an American flag and killing people. So <laughs> right. seeing different faces uh, speaking English and wearing American stuff and seeing American, uh, watching, uh, catching scenes of people volunteering, an idea of volunteering, doing something because it helps other people with very little personal gain. Mm-hmm. That's, that's a very bizarre concept. Why would you do that hmm. if you don't get anything out of that? So then... Learning things about the Red Cross and all these volunteering organizations and religious groups that are just helping people, um, and neighborhoods helping each other without giving things to the state. And these are all concepts that are very subtly or quite strongly introduced um, through visual images and uh, uh, videos and TV shows, I think, really mm, slowly evolve and open up people's opinions about this very kind of this linear opinion about America. So that's not a very I don't know how concise of an answer that was but it's sort of this messy process of people having to open up their or kind of change their opinion about what they were taught about this one particular country.
0: And do you think I mean obviously this is speculating but do you think that this has the potential to pave the way for um, you know making Progress diplomatically with North Korea for for the U.S., South Korea, any other countries outside of um, outside of their sort of sphere.
1: I really hope so. I think so. I am a pretty. I think I'm a pretty practical person when it comes to the nuclear issue. I really do. Unfortunately, I believe that there is nothing that governments can do to assure North Korea. Any security guarantees for them to give up their nuclear weapons. Mm-hmm. Um, so, in other words, I, so in other words, I think North Korea will never, ever give up a nuclear weapon. Uh-huh. Um, I have some professors who joke that New- North Korea will give up their weapons the day after Israel does. I mean,
2: right, right, I
1: don't know what the listeners' politics are, but they never will. Yeah. And so that's probably. If some people. That's probably. I think that's probably a different. Uh, problem compared to citizens being more informed about the outside world and what kind of civic changes that could result. Mm-hmm. I think the ideal situation, uh, and I hope most people agree, the ideal situation is for uh, change to come from within mm-hmm. the population, as un, as impossible as that may seem. Mm-hmm. And somehow that to transform the political structure and for the, you know there to be kind of gradual openness from inside. That's that's the dream, right. Um, I think regardless of whether it's going to be a very kind of peaceful evolution of this country
2: mm-hmm.
1: so that everyone, most people can have a happier life or not, uh, I think the information is absolutely necessary for these 24 million people to have in 21st century we're living in 2017 <laughs> and it's only good to come out of it mm-hmm. the people deserve to know what world they're living in no one's forcing anyone to believe anything no one's forcing anyone to take the risk to watch foreign from inform- watch or listen to foreign information individual North Koreans are taking the informed risk to listen or watch things that they shouldn't be according to the law this is their informed decision and uh, they can they can agree or disagree with whatever they're watching. They can just think it's a taboo, it, form of entertainment. Ignore it, turn it off, whatever. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's up to them.
2: Mm-hmm. But I think
1: having that having uh, options uh, for alternative sources of information available to North Korean people is absolutely uh, critical and necessary for the short, medium, and long term future for um, for this population.
0: And again as so much of what we talk about with North Korea is speculation to to a degree. Um, How much of this, what effect has uh, Kim Jong-un, his rise to power, and what seems to be some instability that's come with that, although it's hard to say for sure, What's your sense of, you know, sort of what's going on right now as far as the leadership's concerned, as far as the stability of North Korea is concerned?
1: Sure. So there were, I believe it was last week where uh, there was news that came out of South Korea's Ministry of Unification that they learned that North Korea's Minister of State Security Mm -hmm. was sacked in early January. Mm -hmm. So I don't... To my to my knowledge, North Korea hasn't come out and confirmed this. Uh, but if that is the case, I mean, the Minister of State Security is the person who is in charge of managing and implementing internal surveillance and all the scary things in North Korea's notorious forces, so political mm-hmm. like prison camps, the police, secret police, and all this stuff. He was sacked.
2: Mm-hmm. We
1: don't know. We don't know if he was, um, and if he was, we don't know why. Um, but for I'm gonna pretty much guess that he, if he was sacked, he's gonna be replaced by someone who's even more brutal. So that mm. he himself could um, keep his position stable and signal to the leader that he is so good at his job. Mm-hmm. And so, the you know, under Kim Jong Un's leadership for the past five, six years, uh, it's been there's been a lot of high-level sacking.
2: Right. <laughs> for
1: right. Very technical term. Right. Um. Also also separate from that for the past two decades a lot of much smarter and much more informed organizations i mean government intel organizations have been predicting regime collapse scenarios Mm -hmm. uh, hard landing soft landing medium landing scenarios (laughs) uh, and and some of those predictions have had very hard timelines within the next five years Mm -hmm. within the next 10 years and despite a lot of this kind of up and down, internal up and down taking place in North Korea, it seems pretty stable from the outside. Mm
2: -hmm.
1: Um, And so I hope I'm wrong. I hope I'm I'm wrong in that maybe there's something much more unusual bubbling up in North Korea that will uh, really operationalize some some form of instability. But I think from what I see, there's been a lot of uh, there's been a lot of um, the same small-scale uh, observations of what outsiders can um, deem signs of instability. Mm-hmm. But I don't. I think that for the foreseeable future, this country will probably chug along uh, in a quite stable manner.
0: Mm-hmm. Um, so, sort of transitioning to U.S. politics. What? Uh, what? What do you think? Um, a Trump administration means for relations between North Korea and the U.S.? Obviously, both sides of that equation are fairly unpredictable, but is there any sort of sense of uh, what that might mean?
1: Sure. I don't know other than the Secretary of State, uh, Secretary Secretary Tillerson. Mm -hmm. I'm not sure who comprises the Korea, his Korea advisors.
2: Mm
1: -hmm. Um, I've heard some rumors of who's going to replace Ambassador Sung Kim, and I've heard some names, of no one, of no one, you know, officially. So I'm not really sure who comprises his, uh, mm-hmm. who will comprise his career advisors. However, um, I think that whatever he does, I think this so directly or indirectly supporting groups and information is only a good thing. Mm-hmm. It's, it's not only North Korea people's individual interests. I think uh, The president, President Trump, has not put human rights and these kind of loud. Um, uh, kind of democracy campaigns as a priority, that's mm-hmm. clear. But I think if we want to use this America First you know, rallying cry or framework or whatever one wants to call it, I think it's actually in America's interest to send information into North Korea because it mm-hmm. only, it, it is, it's cost effective and it's a very, there's no booth on the ground for that. It's a very cost effective way to to welcome people into the world that we live in, welcome North Koreans into the world that we live in, Mm -hmm. and they can, you know, hopefully they will have more tools and knowledge to more um, autonomously be the authors of their future. Hopefully that will be a good and somewhat liberal one. And so I think it's in our interest, our American interest to send information in. So I hope that whatever President Trump's administration decides to do uh, targeting U.S.-North Korea relations, I really do hope one of the underpinning, um, priorities will be, uh, sending foreign media into this country. I, do, I don't think it's outrageous you know, and it had, I information campaigns have been taking place for over a hundred years, uh, between state to state. And mm-hmm. so I don't think it's an outrageous, uh, idea. And I really do hope that he agrees with me or someone <laughs> in his administration will agree with me.
0: And is there any danger, uh, if anything, uh, Trump is known for speaking his mind. Is there any danger of antagonizing North Korea to a point where it becomes dangerous? Or is it something that, you know, some people might think that uh, a president, a U.S. president who speaks his mind in a, in the way that Trump does might be beneficial to to build goodwill in a way? Is is there any danger or benefit to. Uh, this sort of off the cuff manner with which Trump. Delicose. Sure.
1: <laughs> I, I don't. I think that. You know, kind of moving away from the information piece for a little bit, North Korea, I mean, we could only guess what their strategy is. It's pretty clear that they're one and like, they're really like super number one priorities regime survival. I seems that most people will agree that's their priority. And so I don't think they'll be baited by a tweet. A tweet. I know mm-hmm. this is what uh, kind of comment from this previous campaign, but uh, last month after North Korea threat, North, uh, the U.S., the ICBM, mm-hmm. injured a, as a ballistic missile, uh, Trump tweeted something like, you know, this is what North Korea tweeted, no way, or it's never going to happen, or something like this. Mm-hmm. And there's been, of course, a flurry of editorials like, oh my God, is, did, did Trump draw a North Korea red line? I mean, I don't think he drew a red line with a tweet. But right. I <laughs> right. think, you know, he he's said a lot of things about how he's sitting down with Kim Jong-un and having a burger, which essentially signals, you know, uh, considerations of engagement. And mm-hmm. um, or he also has then said, no way, you're never going to shoot us with a missile. So right. maybe that, that signaling, like, you know, increased levels of deterrence in the Pacific theater. I mean, who knows what the implications are. Right. But I think that the Kim Jong-un regime is not going to be substantially moved mm-hmm. by bellicose rhetoric. Mm-hmm. I think they may respond in kind with equally bellicose rhetoric, like they have been for years,
2: mm-hmm. you know,
1: sending blasting South Korea into a sea of waves. I mean, right. yeah, like really colorful, right. you know, right. poetic language. But I don't think it's going to... I highly doubt that they'll be baited by rhetoric and uh, to a point where they're going to actually do something. Because if they really do... You know, I think they, they know that given that their sole priority is regime survival, if they really do anything that's going to touch or come near the U.S. homeland, mm-hmm. the reaction... The response from the United States will be absolutely asymmetrically asymmetrically disproportionate in size, and, I mean, they will demolish. I mean, it it equates regime suicide.
2: Right. So I
1: really don't think that North Korea will be as unwise as to trigger the beginning of their uh, – trigger the beginning of the end for themselves. Right, right.
0: Well, uh, Jian, thank you very much for uh, for coming on today.
1: Of course. Um, uh, thank you so much for having me. The last thing I'll say is uh, Mr. Uh, Mr. Tae Youngho, ho He was the second the deputy minister, I believe, mm-hmm. um, at the, the North Korea Embassy in London. He recently defected last August, now in South Korea, for the past couple months or so, two months or so.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: He's been giving quite public interviews. I think he's coming to the U.S. quite soon. Mm-hmm. and. He has been really championing this idea of information. Obviously, I, not, I didn't create it or spark the idea. I was just kind of sharing something, uh, observations that I've found and kind of put it into a book. But he really has been uh, saying some strong statements, saying that information, foreign information, injecting this country with foreign information and in media will be the best way to bring positive change to this country. Hmm. I think, I'm paraphrasing, his his language is much more strong than that. <laughs>
2: okay. but
1: I hope that he's right and yeah. I hope that all the listeners and supporters of this, uh, this idea really do uh, put our minds together and try to figure out how we can uh, really uh, kind of uh, further engine this collective initiative. So thank you, Michael, for right. your interest and for all the listeners for your time.
0: Absolutely. Thank you again. The book is North Korea's Hidden Revolution, How the Information Underground is Transforming a Closed Society. And it is available now wherever books are sold. And that does it for this episode of the Yale University Press Podcast. Thank you for listening. And please visit us online at www.yalebooks.com to keep up with this podcast, as well as the latest from our blog and our authors. Talk to you next time.